Hello, this is Tim Watton. That's Cotton with a W. Welcome to the Gift Podcast, which focuses on the power of the mind, mindfulness, and being more present to help bring more resilience, calm, and joy. I am focusing today on something that really touches the majority of adults, um, and that is workplace, work environment, culture, but importantly, the niche area of mental well-being and resilience. This affects pretty much everybody that will be listening, and my guest is going to be a super guest. Her name is Amber Costa. Amber helped a software company from a $100 million valuation through to a $3.7 billion acquisition, but at a cost to herself. There was collateral damage as far as she suffered from a mental breakdown along the way. But upside now, she's learnt a lot and she's now using that knowledge and she's launched her own business called Bolpro to help organizations grow, but not at the cost of their employees. Amber lives in London and uh, yeah, I just know she's going to be a great guest and this is a really important subject. So Amber, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tim. Pleasure to be here. Now, I'm going to sort of reverse engineer the question, uh, starting off with. Um, often people end with this question, but I'm going to start with it because that's me. What would be three words that would be used to describe yourself, Amber? I'm going to go with empathetic, resourceful and determined. Good. Those sound all very useful traits. Absolutely. Yeah, they're, uh, they're ones that I'm clinging on to <laughs> at all times. <laughs> now, Although the, um, empathy, the, the empathy one probably uh, is that can actually be more problematic <laughs> at times. But resourcefulness and determination uh, are ones definitely to keep hold of. So um, why would you say empathy is, is problematic? I think um, I, my, my empathy levels, I almost, um, sometimes I say that they're, they're almost too high at times because, of course, when you're doing the work that I'm doing, and we'll talk more about that, um, I end up getting contacted by a lot of people about their own personal mental health stories and journeys. Mm. And sometimes it's really important to, of course, put some boundaries up yourself mm, yeah. rather than know that you need to go down all of these, these very deep, dark holes of feeling like you just want to climb into your inbox, for instance, and give every single person a big warm hug. Yes. Um, that Pandora box moment, Pandora's box moment where it's very hard just to put the box down and leave it alone. Because, you know, people actually often aren't asked enough. And when they do start sharing with someone they feel um, that they can, that actually it's a level of trust that you've got to be careful with. Yes. And it's a huge, it's always a huge privilege as well. Um, you just need to make sure that you're looking after yourself as well as being there for others. Now, Amber, what might be something about yourself that very few people realise or no one realises? Something really unique. Yeah, I think increasingly um, I'm, I'm talking about my story, sharing my story more and, and doing more like this. And of course, um, Tim, you, you met me through the work that I did with the BBC as well. And I talk about 
my my mental breakdown as as a big event and people often talk to me about my recovery but one thing that I don't think that many people realize is that I I really still feel like I'm in recovery every day and Mm. that that's something that I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my life and even doing things like this although I'm able to articulate myself now um, I have to give myself a real good talking to before because still suffer from generalized anxiety disorder for instance so every time where I'm showing up I'll slap a smile on as much as I can but I'm still using all of those um, I've got a toolbox of tips now that I'm able to use but the feeling and the fear is definitely still within my body Hmm. and that's useful for people to understand Uh, not just for those that um, you're going to be you know interacting with but just maybe just to give some peace of mind to those that think there's always a silver bullet. Uh, maybe you, you will always have a certain level of anxiety once you've had a breakdown and it's just how you manage it. And, and actually importantly, know the symptoms and signs in yourself. What do you think Absolutely. about that? Absolutely. Oh, completely. It's a Which huge is a part of it. good segue into asking the next question because yes, I did see your wonderful BBC um, article. It was about burnout. Uh, sick and tired of be, of feeling sick and tired and yeah I read it straight you know one go straight away and was very drawn towards you and what you'd went through but just for those listeners um, and they may have seen the article because it was very um, well reviewed and seen but explain the work experience um, which turned sour and then what you learned from that setback Absolutely. So um, as you touched on in the introduction, I was working for an organisation who at the time of me joining, it was valued at £100 million, pounds, uh, sorry, $100 million, which for context for that company, there were just under 200 people worldwide. And I helped build, I helped take that organisation through a $3.7 billion acquisition over the course of um, that was about four, four and a half years after me joining and then through the, the M&A process. So what you go through after an organization has been acquired. Sure. After we were acquired, um, or in fact, I should say during that time, the, that rate of growth is really, really high. Um, and my career trajectory went in line with that. So I I got promotion after promotion and more responsibility after more responsibility and worked for this company as if it was my greatest love affair. I was was absolutely 100% committed to my work and that was the largest part of my life throughout that time. Post-acquisition is when I really started to, as you say, feel sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, um, where I literally felt nauseous all the time and was suffering from extreme chronic exhaustion as well so I'd, I'd managed to still go into work and go to a meeting and perform in a meeting but I'd walk out of those doors and as soon as the adrenaline started to dip I just felt like I'd been hit by a tidal wave. Hmm. Eventually I was misdiagnosed with glandular fever, um, saw a number of doctors um, and all of my um, all of my symptoms were very, very physical. So it was the exhaustion, migraines, nausea. Um, I was getting very bad abdominal pains. 
Um, and finally, I just sat in the office one day, was sent a spreadsheet from somebody on my team that was a very simple spreadsheet to review. Yeah. Um, he was having some problems with some numbers. I looked at the numbers and just thought, okay, I know that this isn't right, but I have absolutely no idea how to work with this person in order to be able to help him get to the right conclusion. Um, and that was another tipping point for me where I realized that I'd been, I'd been suffering from some of this, these physical symptoms, but my mind was stopping working as well. Just overwhelmed. It was, it was, um, I was definitely overwhelmed and I, I turned around a number of times and just said, I just feel broken. Um, but then would receive the motivational mantras of you're not broken. You can do this, you know, just maybe have an extra sleep this weekend and, and you've got this. Yeah. But actually throughout that period, there were a number of different things happening where my body and my mind was just completely shutting down. And it got to the point where I couldn't walk down the road for more than 10 minutes without having to sit on a garden wall, completely out of breath. Um, and then eventually I, I just lost my words in a way where I couldn't string sentences together properly. That's right. And, and the article, the BBC article, uh, was that you were having dinner with your partner and you couldn't? Yeah. So past the post. <laughs> past the post. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and that was and it was it was a lot of just normal words I couldn't read numbers so I've got a very you know you have all of these snapshots with me I have a lot of snapshots during that period to things that I can see as if it was yesterday and I remember looking at my phone and there was a number phoning me and it was said 0207 blah 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 and I was trying to read the number to um to my now husband uh, then boyfriend. Um, and I couldn't get the numbers out. I just, I was looking at these numbers and I was trying to say the numbers and they were just coming out completely randomly. And it was such a terrifying experience because I knew that what my mind was processing and what my voice was saying weren't adding up. Yeah. Now, most, most people um, listening, uh, we all tend to have to work. Um, and from my experience, across many companies, both as an employee and as a consultant. Some, some gigs um, feel very purposeful. Some are fairly routine um, and, and you just, not in sort of default mode, but you do just enough to make the job professional. But it sounds like post-uni, you in this company, it had a bit of a lion sort of culture, you know, come on, rah, you know, we're all going to be great. And it's all too easy to get sucked into it. You could see the trajectory of your of your career. I imagine you felt super empowered and purposeful in your mid to late twenties. This is probably the time mm. it happened, and you were very driven. I know that's a ubiquitous word, but probably, probably fits the bill. You were working at weekends. You were you know logging on super early in the morning, checking emails before bed. You were literally on the grid all the time, weren't you? I was and actually the one of the interesting things that I always like to add to that is that there was a time um, where I was conscious that my approach to work wasn't healthy and that I was working I was I was engaged or I was active too often so I was trying to put in place some barriers um, whether they're you know 
I'm not going to log on to my emails on a Saturday, for instance. Sure. Uh, some really, some really practical things. But by this point, it didn't even matter if I was in quotes working. I was, I was under such chronic stress um, with the job, and I, my brain was always engaged with. I was Amber at company, um, and that was so much of what defines me the actually thinking outside of that even if i wasn't working i didn't i didn't really connect to anything else and being i suppose that huge drop off the cliff from being the achiever though of course broken um to suddenly realizing that the breakdown is happening in your health both physically and mentally was at a very deep low now you reflect back on that, uh, and as you alluded to earlier, it's still ongoing for you. But do you? What advice would you suggest to listeners about uh, what what you learnt from that setback? My body was telling me that there was something wrong for a really long time. Um, so it took. So I really talk about there was a good six months leading up to what I identify as the breakdown, um, what one of my therapists would identify as the awakening. Um, and increasingly, I'm starting to, to warm to that a little bit more. Um, but my, you know, my body was telling me for a really long time that there was something wrong and I was ignoring it. And I was, I talk about the fact the software that we were selling made the internet work better it was application performance management software so it was all about driving performance and always on and a part of me i think subliminally thought that i was supposed to be like that software like i was almost supposed to be always on and optimal performance um and although you know i spoke about my empathy earlier although i had empathy towards other people and um and understood that getting rest was something that everybody needed. When it came to me, I almost felt like I was some kind of human robot when my body was telling me that I wasn't. And actually, I think that yeah, hindsight's 2020. I'll never be able to rewind time. But certainly there were a number of things that I really should have taken notice of in the you know at least the six months leading up to when it all became far too much and my body and my brain just shut down um in order to turn things around and now one of the things that i do that means that i'm able to sit here and talk to you today um is i really listen to my body and i make changes and and i tap in and understand what different things i need at different times in order to be able to not get back into that then deep black hole that I was in back towards the end of 2017. Yeah, and we all have our um, voice in our head. You've got Amber Costa FM going on all the time, your radio station. Yes. And I've got Tim Watton FM and a slightly different frequency. But we all have it there. It's very useful to know and appreciate what is the good stuff that it's telling you and what is actually predominantly the negative and less useful stuff that comes with a more mindful approach um, and not letting the monkey brain dictate everything. Uh, and that's probably something that you, probably ahead of some of your peers, 
because it often takes a, a huge catalyst or a life event to actually cause this change. But you're probably more realistic now with not just what you're hearing from Amber Costa FM, <laughs> but also just mm. these internal sort of uh, frequencies that tell you how your body is feeling at any given moment. Oh, absolutely. I, I love the analogy of Amber Costa FM. That's brilliant. Gonna, you can use um, that one. Have it on I'm me. going to use that one. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and I think you raised a, such a brilliant point. And one of the things that I've really learned is you'll always, as you were talking about some of the, some of the noises and the voices and um, the stories that we hear within our own heads, then they're, they're not actually that useful. No. Um, and what I've noticed and what I really practice now is how to interact with those um, as well as the good ones and really sometimes for me that will mean I'll get a negative thought or an intrusive thought and, and I'll simply laugh at it um, and sometimes I'll, I'll get one and I'll just know hold on a second let's just be kind let's just embrace that <laughs> with some of this empathy um, and let's be kind to self um and all of those different things I'm, I'm certainly far more aware of now um and help me go about you know hour to hour day to day feeling far better yeah and a very um a previous guest of mine a chap called uh, paul mcgee from manchester he's called the sumo guy um not because he's the uh, size of a house but because <laughs> sumo stands for shut up and move on and uh, I heartily recommend you checking out Paul McGee, Amber, and listeners. But he talked about having a, rather than a, a self-critique, have a self-coach approach. Mm. So you are helping yourself rather than critiquing yourself. I love that, yes. Yeah. And he's got, in the, the book, The Sumo Guy, he's got many, many things like that. But just, just really frame it very simply. Um, and so... What was the sort of epiphany, aha moment where you thought, you know, I need to do something with what I've gone through um, and, and then set up your own organization? What was the catalyst or aha moment there for you? Yeah, so I'd probably, um, I'll tap on two actually. So, so the first one was when I was still very unwell. So I was out of the workplace for about six months. Um, and did actually end up returning to that organization um, for a couple of reasons. One of them was to rebuild my confidence in a mm -hmm. familiar environment. And the other one was because I wanted to leave a more positive legacy. Then I loved this company. I really helped grow it. And then I got sick at the end. Um, but the first half moment would have been while I was still, you know, kind of in, in that heap on my bedroom floor wondering if I was crazy and what was going to happen next and then just realizing that actually assuming that I was able to exist again in a better existence than the one that I was feeling like I was in in that moment um, the experience would mean that I'd really be able to take it and, and use that for the better um, and if I was able to articulate myself again I'd be able to go and share a part of my story which is something that really helped me when I was in that mess was reading other people's stories and listening to them talk about what they'd been through it made me feel far less alone um, but then obviously also to try and be part of the change to 
stop this happening to so many people. So that was the first one. It was that real moment of hope of there could be a silver lining to this. And then the second one was after I'd returned to my last employer and I'd been there um, and really working on more wellness initiatives and bringing some more awareness around mental health in the workplace and stuff like that over the course of the year and done some training and rolled out some really interesting things in that area that I just thought, okay, this is, this absolutely is not enough in this organization. There are a number of other companies here. I'm now a, you know, a player in the mental health communities and actually what we're really missing is an organization who's going to work with other organizations to yes, keep on championing their growth and the revenue point of view. But as we were talking about earlier, do that in a way where it's not going to come at the cost of their employees. Um, and that felt quite exciting to me. Yeah. And, the needle has definitely moved on um, being more visible and open about mental health and well-being inside companies. Some can pay lip service to it, but actually then mm. if tough decisions do need to be made or culture change has to happen, they often won't do it. Um, if it's a bit, a bit of frippery just to say that they're ticking a box, then that can happen. But you know it's got no long-term improvements with it. Um, but certainly in com- big companies I've worked for, they do have like a whole week of mental health um, awareness and understanding. People can personalize it and importantly, um, be open and that's and talk to others. Mm. And though I'd always caveat that by saying, you, you see the really positive or really negative who you're being managed by at any given moment. Some managers you just know you can open up with and they'll be supportive. They've got the bandwidth, they've got the EQ as well as the IQ to manage you. But other people do get promoted in business and lack certain management skills. Uh, They've probably got there through um, their intellect and what they've achieved, but actually don't have the soft skills to actually manage people very well. And they're not always the most easy managers to open up to. Mm, completely so so you can have sort of subcultures in any company where you know in one team you know you can be a bit jazz hands about yeah this place is all well-being and looking after me but in other pockets you can be that is the last person in the world i'd ever open up to because of the way that they uh, run their business Yes, completely. It's um, it's a shame that this is a podcast because I'm just sitting here with the biggest smile on my face, furiously nodding my head to absolutely everything <laughs> that you say on that. Uh, yeah. Microcultures or subcultures is something that I speak about quite a lot, but especially with that, um, you know, what you were talking about with the managers, a lot of organisations will promote somebody into a management role because they've been really brilliant at a job. So, you know, maybe they've they've sold a lot of something or, and then they go right you've hit your quota time and time again go into management um and as you say they don't necessarily have the eq and the leadership skills that it takes to actually lead a team and to listen and to to give people what they need and when we're encouraging people to talk more if somebody doesn't know how to listen and to handle that conversation that can be even more dangerous Yes, and that person then will probably never uh, feel inclined to open up. Um, yeah. 
yeah so there's many facets to this and uh, um but your company is it's called did i get the name right Belpro. Bellpro. It's Bell, yeah, Bell, Bellpro is how I say it. So Bellpro is born from um, the Balance Project because oh. I just kept on coming back to this idea that actually, in order to be able to get to to get everything, <laughs> you need to have balance. Um, so it's almost like if you want everything, you also have to compromise a little bit. But balance is a is a better way of saying that. But I also wanted to, for a number of reasons, I wanted to make up a word that didn't exist. So partly with the marketing hat on, I was thinking about search engine optimization. And then I was also thinking about, hey, if I want to start a green grocers in three years and give this all up, then I can still call it Valpro because it means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well done on you. That's a good, uh, good option. And um, yeah, that, that always feels nice when you landed it, doesn't it? A uh, name yes. or word. Um, yeah. The Balance Project, Valpro. Now, you've been practicing and helping organizations already. Um, what do you think you've learned personally about mental well-being in the workplace and companies having more dual purpose? And that dual purpose I define as, yes, a purpose to make money, but also to look after the well-being of their employees. I've learned that, um, that, it's, that it's tough. <laughs> First of all, let's start there. Um, one of the things that actually I found quite interesting, um, I'd say one of the things that, that I'd found, I found less expected is actually how hard it's been getting an entry there. And I think part of that is because I've, as we were talking earlier about these kind of echo chambers, where I, I've surrounded myself in this really lovely echo chamber where everybody's really, really supportive of anything to do with the mental health area. And then, of course, you go and you set up your own business and you're like, everybody, everybody wants to champion being able to talk. And one of the, one of the things that I did not expect was actually how much stigma there still is mm. Um, and how much fear and shame there still is that's really fueling resistance. Um, and a lot of the organizations that I'm working with that are most committed, it's definitely because there's somebody in a senior leadership who has really, really, um, they're really championing this as an initiative through personal experience, whether that's because they've suffered through poor mental health or somebody close to them has suffered. Um, so that's a little bit of a shame, I think. You know, it's it's heartwarming, of course. The stories are incredible, and storytelling is a really critical way of being able to make moves in this area. Um, but of course, you'd like to get to the point where we're able to do this work with people who um, who don't who haven't got the scars already. Mm. Um, and one of the things that, that I've noticed when people do have those scars and they really are championing it, they are full on and they're really, really determined and committed to making change. And the ripples that are felt within the organizations where that's the case is, is incredible. Yeah. Um, and it can create such a strong, beautiful community. Um, and then for the organizations who don't fall into that category, um, the way that I'm having to work a lot of the time is really coming down to this is a revenue problem. So yes, there's a human cost, 
but actually let's talk about how let's talk about the cost of mental well-being on your revenue let's talk about the people who are showing up to work but they're not actually working um, and working with organizations on more of a business case yes because a uh, it's a cliche a happy employee is a positive and productive employee and one that also has boundaries as far as doing the job going the extra mile but not I mean, and knowing culturally that they won't be put upon if they say actually no um i need a bit more work-life balance um and it's really tough to find that in companies and it may go down back to the sort of micro cultures again mm. that um in some teams it's acceptable and they have a sort of a sort of non formal contract but everyone will talk about um their health and well-being and in some companies i've worked for in their team meetings they have a health and wellness um, moment early on mm. just so that it's not just high days and holidays or when they have a mental health week it's something that they are open about every week and people can be open and i think when you see your peers or hear your your peers being that open you know that you're in an environment where yes you, if you're having a tricky moment you're with people who actually there's no judgment and you can um and i certainly recall because uh, I worked in oil and gas and there was a, a lady that came in from uh, financial services and she was staggered that, that the, this oil and gas company were prepared to say to people, you are, it's okay to say that you don't understand or you need more support because she just come from yeah. somewhere where the lion mentality, don't complain, you don't admit that you're struggling or you don't get it. You just have to suck it up. Uh, and so, you know, I've, got a quite a long career and I've seen and heard these examples and uh, and so it's not across all industries and sectors uh, some are probably harder to achieve this culture change than others completely and I think it's one of the really interesting things that comes off the back of that as well in terms of this you know this lion culture um, and this need to be strong when I when I was really, really in the thick of it and I was doing, you know, a textbook job and I was a real high flyer and I was achieving and all of this stuff, that all of all of that was fine, but I wasn't necessarily talking about the struggle. I was I was doing a lot. I was very productive and and I was certainly getting some pats on the back and all of that kind of stuff and the recognition and you know, the nice money and all of those perfectly instagrammable things mm. but actually now that i'm talking about my story and now that i'm talking in in a much more authentic honest and kind of compassionate way um in a way that certainly others may portray portray as weak now i'm being called strong so actually mm. yeah. when i when i was silent <laughs> um and i thought that i was being strong and I was struggling, people weren't saying that so much. And it's not all about that kind of external validation, but actually a lot of the times we think that if we admit that actually this is really tough, or as you say, we don't know something, we don't understand something, that that might be weakness, it's the greatest strength. Yeah. There was a, um very impressive uh, female leader I worked with in one of these oil and gas companies and she started 
every team meeting with tell me something I don't want to know. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and that was pretty impressive because she then opened the door to, yeah, I just need transparency here. Yeah, it just it just creates it creates a safe space as well. And it says, hey, you know what, I'm here for you. Like, yeah. you know, tell me something that you're scared of telling me and say, you know, tell me something that I don't know, that I don't want to know. It's just like, yeah. hey, I'm here for you. Let's work through this together. And, uh, and probably both of us have uh, encountered managers that say that quite schmaltzy, unauthentic. My door's always open in the office. And you know that that's the last place they ever want you to come into. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Or yes, come, come to me. Come to me with your problem, but make sure that you come to me with a solution alongside it. <laughs> but you know, because I'm all about, I'm, I'm heavily EQ and um, empathetic and compassionate because of what I've gone through with my health for so many years. It must feel, you know, yes, you had purpose back in the day. But it came at a cost for your health but you've now got a slightly nuanced purpose around positively impacting companies. How does that feel when you're able to make that positive change? It actually feels, um, this might sound like a bit of a strange answer, but it feels like a relief to me. And I think that that's because again, coming back to that empathy, um, and this is probably something that I should take to a therapy session. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I often feel like I've got the weight of the world on the show on my shoulders. Um, so every time I am able to work with an organization that then is able to go and affect this positive change, I just feel like such a relief of ah, oh, okay, that's another step in the right direction that we go. Um, and it certainly makes me more optimistic about the future. And as the GIFT podcast is um, really about honing in on the power, mind, power of the mind and, and being more present, what have you learned about your version of being present when you feel in the moment? And how does that help you, Amber? One of the things that, um, that I really strive for now, and actually it's, you know, it comes down to that Amber Costa FM <laughs> that you spoke about, um, is, is really that kind of that sense of peace. Um, one of the first things that, that I learned when it came down to mindfulness um, and mindfulness training and stuff like that was, um, again, my therapist at the time told me to brush my teeth with my left hand because I'm right-handed. Um, and I, I have an electric toothbrush, so I always feel like I'm cheating a little bit because obviously the toothbrush does a lot of the work for me. But it's just those tiny little changes and those tiny little breaks of, okay, I'm going to brush my teeth twice a day and I'm going to brush my teeth with my left hand because that means that I'm actually thinking about the fact that I'm brushing my teeth. You're concentrating. And I think exactly, exactly. I'm just in the moment at that time um, <laughs> for those two minutes. Um, and just those tiny little snapshots are really important to hang on to because once you're brushing your teeth for two minutes and you're thinking about that, when you're in the shower, you're thinking, oh, hold on a second, I'm just going to smell my shampoo or I'm going to smell my shower gel. And there's a lot of um a lot of peace as i was saying earlier that i end up getting from just 
enjoying and taking a moment to be present when I'm walking to the tube and I'm stressed about the fact that I might be late. Oh, hold on a second. Let me take a second and just look at that tree (laughs) and just take these tiny little micro moments to actually bring myself back and ground myself. Um, And that's something that I certainly didn't, didn't ever practice before and helps, helps me moving forward. Yeah. I mean, the past has already happened. You can't plan too much for the future, but all we ever really have is this moment. And I do know people who probably struggle with um, knowing how they can concentrate enough to actually feel present. And it probably it can probably agitate people that they struggle with finding those moments. But I always say, mm-hmm. you know, nature costs, costs nothing. It's just out your door, just bird song. Uh, and that actually is a very good way to anchor yourself. Just listen to that bird song or see a beautiful sight, whatever it may be, and just try and eliminate your FM thoughts all the time and just hone in and actually come back to that moment because you will, your mind will deflect and, you know, what's your to-do list and just go, okay, you're talking about the to-do list again. Let's get back to that bird song. And actually just having that with some deep breaths from the diaphragm, which activates what's called a vagus nerve from your your diaphragm through to your brain, which is why when we're in stress or hassle, that's why we take those deep breaths because the vagus nerve is in action. Um, And what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Sorry, it's not funny. Um, And so, thank you, Amber. You're my best guest. And um, interestingly, we do something very similar. I bookend the day, most people would, in the bathroom. I don't want the radio on. I just want to be still and concentrate and say positive mantras and use that really important two, three minutes each day to actually be still and actually just enjoy that time with myself. And actually, that could well be the difference for a lot of people between thinking they don't have any present moment and actually just bookending the day with that time in the bathroom on your own. Mm, I love that. Now, what do you, for, for what in your life do you feel most grateful, Amber? I'd say, um, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to give you two different sides of it. Um, so, so one of them, of course, just has to be the people. Um, I got married in June last year and um, I, I just love my husband very, very much. Um, and we've, of course, we've been together through me being very, a lot of very different versions of myself, which is very scary for a loved one in that situation as well. It was I was going through something and he was right there with me, but um, he didn't know what was happening either. And so I'm very grateful to to him and some of my incredible friends and family, um, you know, new and old. So definitely want to recognize that the work that I do and the life that I live is so much better because of the people and the communities that are within it. Um, And then the other thing that I'm just really grateful for is being able to sit here today and to talk to people like you, Tim, and to share this story and to help others and to look towards a brighter future because there was a time where I didn't know what my future would look like um, in the next, you know, in the next hour, next day, etc. 
Mm. And to now be able to sit here and to simply get a sentence out is a great achievement <laughs> as well. Yeah, I wouldn't have invited you on my show if you couldn't speak to me. <laughs> I know, can you imagine? <laughs> sorry, I'm going to have to fill in for Amber because she's... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm joking. But um, uh, Now, what would you say, and maybe there's still many, many accomplishments to come from you, I imagine there will be, but at, at your current age, what's the greatest accomplishment of your life? I'm going to go with one that um, you're not going to go with two. Really, I'm going to go with just one today. Just, <laughs> okay. just one for this question. I could give you two. I could talk about Valpro, but I'm not going to. I'm actually um, going to talk about uh, some volunteering that I do. So I'm a volunteer for a company called Shout UK, who have the Shout Crisis Text Line, which is very similar to the Samaritans, but it's all by text. Hmm. Um, and I became a volunteer for them after some training um somewhere between september and october last year and it's my way of of really well another, another way another way of my of my giving back to people who are really struggling and people who are in crisis and i do it generally about twice a week log on for a shift that could be anything from two to four hours mm. um to just be there for people who are at a time of crisis and that might be because somebody in a you know in a boy band has just quit and they love that boy band and they're really cut up about that or it could be dealing with really serious life and mm. death situations um in a huge variety and the work that that organization do and the other volunteers that work for the organization is incredible and it's a free service you just text shout to 85258 and you're connected with somebody like me who's on the other 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 ends of the platform um and i've learned a lot from that and get a lot from it personally as well to communicate with people who in that moment can't see their strength and okay. that sounds very worthy and uh yeah well done that you're doing that thank you what change your gears but what would const constitute a perfect day for you amber <laughs> Can I i'm give probably you being on this for podcast with me but uh, <laughs> i don't want to blow up my own tires but <laughs> i think it is yeah this will be the highlight of my day um, yeah highlight of your of the hour <laughs> <laughs> um it again it just i'm i struggle to answer this one because it just it changes all the time sometimes a perfect day will be not leaving the house and just diving into to a book or binge watching a terrible series on Netflix or something like that. And then the next day it could be going and having a really, really full and busy day with work related activities. Mm. So it really depends again on what kind of headspace I'm in, in any given moment. Um, I went skiing for the first time a few years ago. Um, we're not skiing this year either, but, that was again actually the first time I went skiing was when I was recovering from being very sick and if I think about a perfect day in my past it was probably one of the first days that I have went on the slopes and that was a place where I just felt that real peace and that the world was much bigger than I'd realized yes and it's uh, amazing surroundings and it always feels bigger than yourself doesn't it out there oh it does yeah yeah what might be one daily habit or routine that you feel contributes to uh, your current levels of well-being and success? 
I do something called a winner day. Um, and I think that a lot of people listening to this will, um, will relate when you get into bed and you have all of those things rattling around your brain that you haven't got around to and you haven't managed to do. Uh, I needed to phone that person and I didn't return that email and the, you know, the hundred things that are always ticking over. What I do is I think about, okay, what, what did I, what was my one win today? And I think about this throughout the day as well, so that I'm setting myself up <laughs> to get into bed and think, okay, I might not have done a load of things that are on that to-do list. Um, but I had a really great conversation with Tim today and that's my win. So I'm not going to focus on all of those other things. I'm just going to think about that. And do you put it down in a, in a, a book um, or do you just mentally make a note? I, I don't. I mentally make notes of it. However, one of the things that one of my clients has done, um, they use Slack um, internally, which is like a kind of instant message thing that you can set up separate channels for. So you could have a channel for various work projects, but they actually have a specific channel that's called a winner day. Mm. Um, and they have a practice where at 5 p.m., whether or not their day finishes at 5 p.m., but at 5 p.m., they go onto this channel and they share their win. Um, and all of the employees take part in this. And it could be that <laughs> they had a really nice lunch or it could be that they had a really great meeting. So they've actually brought that into the organization as something that helps recognize all of the all of the little mm. wins and the micro successes. And that works really well for them. So there are all sorts of different ways that you can apply that. Okay. Sounds a good one. And actually, you know, it, to some people, it might seem a bit of uh, frippery, but it just allows people just to um, be honest and open about um, the ongoing uh, bit of success rather than you know you get to an amazing result and won a big deal or and then you congratulate yourself yeah. and help each other Absolutely. you know there's, there's a lot to be said that actually a lot of people enter companies and there's a quite a lot of uh, you know hey joe blogs has just turned up welcome them to the team and often in lots of companies the next time they say anything about them positively is when the day they leave yeah, not if, much if happening that's in even between. recognized at all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm all about improving recognition in companies. As someone that uh, practices communications for a living, uh, and I work very closely with leadership and HR to make sure that recognition peer-to-peer -peer is, and it doesn't always need fiscal um, uh, you know, uh, reward, it can move mountains in performance. And really I'll does. go to my grave always banging that drum around improving recognition. Um, and, and I could just run a podcast just on that. But it's, it's super important. Anyone out there that thinks that it's, uh, it's not that I would always countenance. Yes, it is. Um, now, what might be one book you've got the most from? It's Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Okay. And why, like, why is it? Yeah. I'm not familiar um, with that book, so you have to go oh, educate me. Oh, it's absolutely fabulous. So, um, so he, what he does is he breaks down, he's got a hypothesis um, that depression and anxiety are fueled by a lack of connection. And he breaks it down into eight or nine areas. I think it's nine areas. 
where it could be a lack of connection from your values, from yourself, from nature, from relationships, and so on. And then he goes and he writes about, I think, six different ways where you can reconnect. Um, And it's just, he does it through beautiful storytelling, pulls in a lot of data and research, but in a really accessible way. And it's one of those books where I ended up just having to read it with a pen and underline everything with, <laughs> I mean, I think I've probably underlined most pages, which isn't that useful, but it just felt like every sentence after sentence, I was just going, yes, I totally agree with that. That's brilliant. I really recommend it. It's, a, it's exceptional. Okay. Now I use pencil when I underline in books, which is why I'll never probably own um, uh, an ebook. Um, uh, yeah. because I do like it's just that sort of version read you know it's your book and you can do what you want with it and if that Absolutely. means pencil or pen to it and underlining and making little comments on the side like you're still at uh, school well actually that's really important because you can always come back to it a number of my comments um in this book are just simply wow <laughs> <laughs> now as this podcast is called the gift I always ask every single guest if you were to unwrap a gift in the form of a quote or piece of advice for our listeners, what might that be? Today I'm going to go with don't be too hard on yourself, but also try. And what I mean by that is practice that kindness that we were talking about earlier when you get those intrusive thoughts. And sometimes you really, really need to give yourself a break but also just try and do one little thing and that could be small like brushing your teeth or it might be just walking down the road in one day that you just really don't want to get out but if you can just try and do one little thing whilst being kind and compassionate those are the little milestones that will keep going to build yourself into a better place excellent and uh i do i will sound like a broken record to listeners but I'm fervently believe practice makes progress rather than practice makes perfect. Start the habit and build on it. Don't think it's going to be perfect initially. And going back to my previous comment, be your self-coach, not your self-critique. Yes, I love that. So Amber, thank you very much. I would, I imagine people would want to learn more about you. How, How can they reach out to you what, what um, platforms would you recommend they do so so my um my networks i'd probably go with um i'm amber costa which is c-o-s-t-e-r um on linkedin so i i end up sharing a fair bit especially about the workplace um on my linkedin profile so feel free to to invite me to connect with you on there um and then we've got at balpro b-a-l-p-r-o on instagram which i've got a load of links on there to other blogs that i've published before or um the bbc article that tim you mentioned earlier and so on and so forth so feel free to follow follow balpro on instagram or follow me personally on linkedin is the best way and of course checking out balpro.com great amber i knew you were going to be a great guest and you didn't let me down Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> um, so bless you. Thank you for being uh, on my show. For you listeners, thank you for dialing in and uh, joining me. Do tell others 
the power of um, spreading the word is everything in marketing in this current day and age. So do tell others. And if you feel so inclined, do rate the podcast, obviously very positively. Um, so thank you. And I leave you as I always do yours cup half full. Thank you.